0: Welcome to The Mom Voice. This is Lauren and Sarah with episode 90. Yes, Lauren, and I'm
1: so excited because we have a really special guest with us today, Al Caraway. She is married to her husband, Ben, has three children, Gracie, Christian, and Mercy. She's an award-winning writer, international bestseller, public speaker, and so much more. Yes. Hi, Al. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Mom Voice. We're so excited to chat with you today about remaining optimistic and Maintaining your spirituality through hard times. You are definitely a light in that regard, and you are such an open book. You share so much online and on your social media. We're so excited to chat with you today.
2: Hi, thank you. I'm super excited.
0: I know, Al. It has been a long road to get you here. And literally for her, it was a long road to New York. We got her at the tail end of her um, living here in Arizona, where we are too. And then they moved cross country to New York. And we have followed along with just the wildest move ever you are just such a champ do you want to give us like a mini rundown of like what you've been through the last few weeks
2: Uh, well yeah we were supposed to do this in person in Arizona and then COVID was like so bad in Arizona I know so we're like oh maybe not and then we're like okay let's do it and then I'm like oh actually I'm moving to New York (laughs) so then we drive across the country I got three kids a big giant dog it's like 150 pounds And we drive straight through. We don't stop. It's over 2,200 miles. It was like 44 uh, hours. Didn't sleep. And we get here and we were supposed to do our interview again then. And then everything just fell apart. I don't know. It went from bad to worse to like even worse. So then we were houseless for over a month. It was like 35 days, but you know, who's counting? (laughs) Um, Yeah, just living in a hotel, all of us in one little room and
1: it was just wild. I know, and bless your heart. You guys, you shared a lot on Instagram and we all felt so invested with you. We were like, how is this
0: happening? I know, every day we're like, is she gonna get the keys today? Oh my gosh. I mean, it was like wild and since we were had been talking and we were anxious to meet with you like we were just like step by step and then you finally uh, survived you survived let's just be honest you survived that and made it to your house and your house is so darling you now have such great
1: content for your next book al stop i uh,
2: i always (laughs) feel like someone just asked me oh you're gonna write another book and i'm like even when i wrote my first one i'm like that's it i'm done i i did everything i knew any knowledge i've attained it's in that book like i can't i can't do another one and then you know I write and I have three and now I'm like that's it I'm done I have nothing left and then you know
1: something else happens and you're like mm, okay we learned some more yeah exactly well Al we always like to kick off interviews when we have time to do burning questions have you ever played burning questions I can't promise I'm that quick but let's let's hit them okay we're just gonna do some quick hits so the listeners can get to know you and just say the first thing that pops into your head. So this why is you... dangerous. I know that's fine. We're a fun show here, Al. So just say whatever. Okay. Your favorite late night go to snack. What are you up eating in the middle of the night?
2: Cereal, anything <gasps> I shouldn't be eating. Actually, chocolate, anything. Chocolate, Same girl. Cereal.
1: Are you a late night snacker? I totally am. So bad.
2: I do so well to eat well during the day. And then something about nine o'clock and pass. I'm like, well, I just ate twelve days worth of food before bed, so that's exciting.
1: <laughs> I know. I do the same thing. And my husband is like, What is your problem? Why are you up eating all night? I know. It's so true. No willpower at two AM. Okay. What is your all-time favorite TV show or movie? Uh
2: I actually the older I get, the more I don't like movies and TV shows. I just feel like I get bored and I think about all the other things I could be doing, but I do love a good shit's Creek if I were to sit down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finish this sentence Al. You feel prettiest when?
2: Oh, I don't know. You know, it's interesting and it has nothing to do when I feel prettiest, but, but when I, I put makeup on as soon as I wake up and it's not because I feel like I need it, But I have an energy surge. Like the second I put makeup on, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? So I want to say makeup, not because of how I look, but because I turn into like this this force that can just multitask like
1: crazy. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I feel like there's something to be said when you get up and put your makeup on. I totally agree. Okay, next question. Where did you and your husband share your first kiss? It was
2: our first date. We pen paled each other for a year and a half. And I told him, I said, I'm not kissing you. I don't kiss boys on the first date because I liked
1: playing hard to get.
2: But but then he kissed me anyways. and, And I it
1: was fine. (laughs) Okay, Al, we need to know what is your very favorite tattoo?
2: Oh, I have an onion tattooed on my ankle. Do you? And what's the story there? I got to a point where I'm like, I'm done. I'm not getting any more. But if I were to get one more, I want to get one to just that just is so stupid that will make me laugh. <laughs> so I got an onion because I love onions so much. I put them on everything and it's just
1: <gasps> there on my ankle. That's so funny. I love it. All right. Well, last question and then we'll dive into the interview. You still get butterflies when your husband what? Dot, oh, dot,
2: dot. he's so good. I like Aww, him so much. <laughs>
1: that's so sweet.
2: I it could be anything. We just get along so well together. And you know, it's funny because I love people. I'm a public speaker. And I could be in the store and I don't care who you are. If you're anywhere near me, I'm gonna start a conversation with you. Like where <laughs> I will go out of my way to talk to strangers. I love people, but the more and the longer I have become a public speaker, I've turned into such an introvert. Like I'm the most, I'm the most uh, extroverted introvert to ever exist. So when I'm home, like I want to be home. I don't really ever have friends. (laughs) I don't ever feel the need or the desire to like go out and have like a lunch date, like catch up with girls Mm -hmm. or anything. I'm like, no, I want to just hang out with him. Like he's funny. Like, I like him
1: it's important to like your spouse so that's that's wonderful (laughs) I feel like there's a difference I feel
0: like you could love them but not always Mm -hmm. like them well yeah and especially to be like best friends like to spend yeah your time extra time you wanting to choose to be with him that speaks volumes I love that well oh my gosh you are so fun like that's funny that you say you don't want to go to lunch I tease to stare all the time I swear the pandemic has turned me into like an introvert it's like I lost all my social skills like forcing me to be inside because I I was very much a goer and a people person, too. And now it's like I feel like I'm kind of pulling the other way some days. But no, speaking of the pandemic, I mean, um, your book, Wildly Optimistic, came out in October 2019. And um, man, can you just believe the timing? Is that not just uncanny of just the wild year that was coming? And your book is called Wildly Optimistic. I mean, what, what do you what do you think of that?
2: Well, who could have predicted anything that this year would have brought? But for me, I like to take a chance on my reoccurring thoughts. I feel like if something comes to your brain more than once, then you should pay attention to it. And I also believe the more bizarre it seems or maybe illogical or unexpected the more excited I get about it because I feel like it's like this greater force saying yeah yeah like you should do it like it like it knows more than I do you know or it's like your soul like hey hey you were supposed to do this like Mm -hmm. inching you along to to do something so it's kind of a rule of thumb for me and it always has been always pay attention and give chance to your reoccurring thoughts. And so I wrote my third book and it was every chapter within that book is a theme within a trial. And then this happens and it's super relevant.
0: Yeah. I think that your book has touched so many people and for this year specifically, so relevant to try to stay optimistic through such like tough times and the trials, like you said, trying to find the good through the trials and the hard, hard times. Um, Al, give us a tiny bit of a background, and we'll go more into your book, but give us a little bit of background of kind of how you became the Tattooed Mormon. The public speaker, author, all of these glorious things. But like, yeah, a little backstory. And I know it's quite a story. So I grew up
2: and I found, you know, this religion back in New York when I was 21. And I moved across the country. And that is when I started speaking and writing growing up without God, kind of, I don't know how to word it. Like I just, it wasn't even a thought of mine. And then when you do find something that rocks your world in the best way possible, like completely changes you and, and you sacrifice so much for it. Like I gave up my, my family, I had to, you know, I gave up so much and then I, it didn't occur to me that there's these people that have always had that, but like, didn't do anything with it or that struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Cause in my, in my ignorance, I'm like, wait, I just went from, it was such a black and white contrast from not having somebody to, to having it. And then I, when I moved across the West and it, it was almost everyone I met that they were just struggling. And I realized, well, if one person has a question, other people have this question. And I started to realize, wait, you felt that way before I felt that way before I realized everyone feels the same. And I think East Coast culture really plays a big part in what I'm doing now. Um, 100% of me is very blunt. I'm very outspoken. I'm very outgoing. It's kind of like the East Coast way of things. And so it kind of brought a different uh dynamic to this community that it's not really uh I don't know not really a thing as much as it is, is in New York. And so I'm talking about things I thought everyone would talk about but <clears throat> they're not and I'm kind of rallying all of these people on their own because we're coming together with this feeling. So I wrote a blog post right because I was writing and speaking before this awful awful nickname came. <laughs> It's like haunting me to my death, but it's fine. Um, So you
0: dislike that name? I
2: hate it. I hate it more than everything. Okay, good to know. So I wrote this blog post when I was treated so terribly. And it was because of how I looked. And I'm just covered in tattoos, which is whatever. And I didn't want my blog post to be about that. So I'm like, how can I write about this experience without, and having them know what I'm talking about without the post actually being about that. So I thought I was being clever and I named the blog post tattooed Mormon. So they knew what I was referring to, but that I wouldn't actually have to write about it in my story. And now it's a nickname that's haunting me to my death that I hate so much. But it came from a blog post. It came from myself, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Two
0: two questions really fast from what you just said. Asking that question and the other people ask that question too. What question are you referring to? Is it what's the meaning of life? Is there a God? Like what was the question that you really – we're seeking out and that you feel like other people are asking these questions too that are really struggling?
2: It could be anything. People just want to know that they're not alone in feeling and wondering and wandering and questioning uh, and in experimenting. And so really it can be anything. And so I share in my writings um, I started with a blog and this was like 11 years ago. This was before a blog was even a thing. No one Nothing. had one. Yeah. And I would just talk about the times where I have felt alone when I have felt judged or why do I feel like God asked so much of me? When will it get better? When will it get easier? When will it start to make sense? I'm screaming at him, wondering where he is, and I'm losing my voice. And I'm going to tell you about it because I have a feeling maybe you have had those feelings in those times too. And the whole thing just spiraled and exploded into what it is now on its own. Without me seeking after it. So I was never like, "Mm, I want to share my story. How do I do that? It was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, I'm just going to talk about the things I'm wondering about and struggling about. And it just turned into
0: the crazy thing that it is. And this is after you found the church in your religion. You, you went through this process of just finding your purpose and finding all the direction God has for you. And yeah, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders and a lot to feel, absolutely. You
1: kind of took the words out of my mouth, Al, but I was just gonna say from reading your books, I really feel like I know you. I feel like you're very relatable and that you share those inner feelings and those doubts and those trials that we're all having. Like literally, as I was listening to your last book, Wildly Optimistic, I texted Lauren. I was like, oh my gosh, she's talking to me. She's talking about me. I'm not even kidding. I totally did because this whole year has like done a number on me, Al. Like, no joke. Like, not anything crazy has happened to us or our family necessarily. It's just been like the slow, steady things of isolation and not being in your normal routine and, you know, all those little bitty things that just kind of chip away at your. Not your spirituality, but like your testimony and your confidence of things and all of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I needed this so much. And like literally from the opening story in your book, it touched me so much. You share a story about going into a prison to speak and where they were singing a song. And do you mind giving an overview to our readers really quickly about that experience?
2: Yeah, I'm speaking at a prison. I've never had a drug addiction. I've never been in jail or anything, but they asked me to be the keynote speaker of this, um, graduation of these inmates who graduated a drug program. And so it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, Family members can come, although not many did. It's 100% not a religious thing. Definitely not the religion I belong. It's not a God thing. So they're like, hey, we want you to be the speaker, but you can't talk about God. And I'm like, why did you even think of me, of all people? I don't know how to talk without talking about God. And so I, I went... And I spoke on the the reality of change. And I'm looking at these men who are just the most intimidating men to ever exist. All ages, you know, they're missing teeth. They got tattoos all over their face and their head. And they're big, like, built men that just Mm -hmm. tower over me. And they have a choir that got up, a one-time choir for the graduation. And they start singing. And the song that they sang just rocked my world. And it's uh, an LDS hymn. uh, It's a children's song. And there's this line that says, "Heavenly Father, are you really there?" And I just felt like my whole body just rocked, like my like. Even just thinking about it, my heart just stops because in that moment, in that jail, looking at the most intimidating men, wondering that question, like, "Are you really there?" I had just felt more than anything i've ever felt in my existence that that he is and it's just kind of been my anchor because i feel like i go through these experiences and while i'm in it i'm thinking this hands down will be the hardest thing i'm asked to go through and then you you barely make it out and then you you realize that you're being called to go through something that's even harder and just my life has been this consistent is like a, a just my life just goes from bad to worse to even worse. And I have learned right off the bat, you know, I thought people turned to God when something was going wrong in their life as some sort of mental comfort. But here I was this stubborn 21 year old New Yorker thinking life could not get any better. And I'm out to prove everyone wrong. Like you don't need to live a certain way. You can do whatever you want. You don't need to try and please this supposed God. Like, what are you talking about? And so I started to talk to this, this God just to prove to other people that he wasn't there. But when I realized that he is, I thought, man, if I was unstoppable before with him, like try and come at me. Like you can't, like, I thought I am just, you know, life was good before. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing now. I know. And then oh. it wasn't until then that everything just shattered and, and rocked me in the worst way and best way possible. And it's just after 11 years, it's still in the pattern of going from bad to worse to even worse. And from early on, you know, you have to figure out, wait, what am I going to do about this? Wait, if this is the pattern of life, if this is the pattern of this path that I chose, there has to be a different way because I can't yell and scream and cry and just plead for things to be over or things to be different every day of my life. And so right from like the gate, right out of the gate, I'm like, wait, how am I going to deal with this when it happens? Because it seems to be happening quite frequently for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. And I think we all, we all have those terrible moments. And I, I seriously get goosebumps when you share those stories about, those moments and those men singing that song and oh, oh my gosh, I literally got like full body chills when you were telling that story. But I mean, when you go through those super hard times, like you're describing, you know, like really being refined by the fire for lack of better words, like, Do you ever just question it all, Al? Because Lauren Lauren and I are very different. Lauren, we've talked about this so much throughout the course of our friendship. I can be very, very analytical and I get in my head about things and I just have to wonder like, do you find yourself in that space at all in those moments? And what do you do to get out of it?
2: I go through a cycle. I am by nature an optimist, but that doesn't mean you're happy all the time or that bad days don't come. It means that like, even on the hard days, you know, that better days are coming and that there's something to learn and cherish during everything. I believe that everything is in a season. And even if it's a hard season, seasons don't last forever. And even if it is a a cold and dark season something new blossoms within each season and so Mm -hmm. I want to say that (laughs) I have learned over and over and over again that my favorite things the the best things have come from every time I was wondering where God is and if he even cares about me. And every time I'm screaming out loud, losing my voice, just in, just to the universe, like what is going on? It has been every time I scream in the wonder and then in the fatigue, where you feel like you're falling and you feel like you're failing. It was all of those moments that has brought me to everything I have now. And so it's this pattern of, well, if it's worked out before, it's got to work out again. If I was helped before, you know, if I grew before, it's going to happen again. And so that's the mindset I my end. So I want to say that I almost, I don't want to say I get excited when things don't work out, but I do have this level of uh, excitement where I'm like, ooh, what's going to come from this? Because I know something will. But then what is worse for me? The hardest thing that I will ever be asked to go through is passing time. Whatever it is you're going through, the longer you have to go through it, that is what I struggle with most because you almost feel like you should have earned your way out of that yeah. crappy situation. Yeah. Like, wait, I was optimistic. I was faithful. I was, you know, uh, you know, whatever. For so long, I should have been blessed with it to be removed by now or, you know, whatever. Or you just, you know, you get tired. Like, wait. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> wait.
2: And so for me, I want to say, yes, I'm great at it. But then you get to the phase of passing time. You're like, wait, I don't know that I can anymore. I don't know that another day is another chance. It seems like another burden to bear. I don't know if I can go on putting so much in and seeing nothing come out. Where is the change? Where is the progress Um, And so what is helpful for me as a writer, especially is something that I know, I know a thousand percent is that there is always another way to look at things. And I know that it is me and my narrow mindedness and my specific personal desires that are very limited to, to me and my own brain and heart that, that hold me back. And so if I just step back and I always, always, always look for the lessons as a writer, I always want to be thinking, wait, someone else has felt this way too. And I'm feeling it. What can I learn and how can I turn this around to someone uh, who could read about this, that they could, you know, what, what can I offer right now in this struggle yeah. And so I know that there's always a different way to look at it. There's always a better perspective. I'm always the one in my own way.
0: <laughs> and yeah. I
2: always am productive by looking for new opportunities, looking for things that I am asking for that might be packaged differently. I'm looking yeah. for you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in your book, you share a really touching story where I believe you were pregnant with your second child and you guys didn't have healthcare at the time, right? Where you wanted to hear the heartbeat and you you were so anxious to like go check on the baby and all. And like, I'm sure it's what you're talking about there, that timing of just having to like trust and wait. I just know there's so many people feeling that exact way right now, especially in 2020 with the pandemic and everything happening as it is I mean as you're going through those times of trials you said you were naturally optimistic are there ever those moments where you are just like sitting in the depression like just having those feels are you mindful to like snap yourself out of that do you know what I mean I personally
2: don't deal with depression and so I do think that's a different level
1: sure playing
2: ground Me and Ben have never really had our hardest days on the same day as each other. So Mm -hmm. we could be struggling together. I mean, when we were houseless, like, what do you, you know, oh man, you, uh, you're in a hotel room and you have, you're like homeless and you look at your kids and you're like, how did I give them this life? How did we make it right here? And, and no matter that situation was so bad because it was out of your hands, no matter what you did it, you couldn't, it's not up to you. It's about, you know, the seller and it's about the bank and it's about all these other people. And that was the worst knowing that it's out of your hands. And I, I just, I crumbled because every time I looked at my kids, I'm like, how, how did I bring them to this? This is my, this, I mean, it's no, I know it's not my fault, but it wouldn't happen if it weren't for me and Ben, you know, from our kids to be stuck in this hotel room and and yeah I would crumble and I would scream I lose my voice at God all the time still but I know that my bad days when those happen are not the same days as Ben's bad days Mm -hmm. so so he is he is there and I know that after a good night's rest and a good vent I wake up and I'm like okay I can't do that again. I remember when I first moved to Utah thinking I just gave up so much of everything that was important to me to to follow what I thought God wanted me to do. And I thought, well, man, as soon as I do that, as soon as I get there, that's when things are going to get easier and things will get better and things will make sense again, only to find out that when I got there, things got so much worse. And I was treated so awful. It got to the point where I'm like, I don't have energy to go to the grocery store right now, because I don't think I can handle the stairs. Mm -hmm. I don't think today I have the energy and the strength to handle whatever rude comment is going to come at my way. And then I got to a point where I'm like, wait, 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 this isn't, (laughs) this isn't me. (laughs) Wait, what am I doing? Why aren't I going to the grocery store to get food? when I need food like I literally just like wait this isn't me wait I don't want to feel this way wait I don't want to go on like this anymore and this is when my stubborn New Yorker really kicked into gear where you want to fight for yourself because it's like wait I live here once wait I live once this is it yeah Am am I going to be dictated by people I don't care about by people I'll never meet Am I gonna let this bad time, this bad season, this situation dictate me living a life I want to live and me just being happy? And I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna worry about me and I'm just gonna worry about God and I'm gonna do the things I feel called to do, whatever that is. And for me, it's like those reoccurring thoughts. And, and those reoccurring thoughts by having, you know, taking a chance on those and just doing the things that you want to do, like if you're not doing the things that make you happy, like you're missing the point, life will have passed us by and it's going to be our fault and what, you know, what, what then? <laughs>
0: oh, totally. I mean, I think kind of scaling back to something you said a little bit earlier, I think um, exactly like you said, when hard times hit. I think almost human nature is in human instinct is to be like, why God? Why did you do this to me? God isn't here. Like bad things happen to good people and this isn't fair and it's not right. And I think a lot of people want to throw their faith and their, their knowledge and their their religion per se out the window when bad times hit because they just feel that it's just so unfair. But I think you make some really, really valid points that, you know, life is full of trials and it's like refining us and we have to show that consistency of our faith and push through it. And you mentioned the kids and like, absolutely. I could totally know how you feel just like a, even though you weren't like a failing mother in that moment of just like, what has happened? The crap has hit the fan. How has this happened? But your kids are just so, so lucky to have you in bed. How do you feel like your faith and your religion or even just having God in your life now being a parent to them? Because you said you grew up without the idea of God in your life. And now to have a complete 180, parenting three little ones, how do you feel like this perspective influences your parenting or just guiding them through life I always get asked
2: off camera like do you have an off button when you're not speaking when you're not interviewing like where's the difference between when you're on and when you're off and I'm like honestly like one of my favorite compliments I've ever gotten from my husband was you know what I like about you I like that you're the same when you're at home and when you're out with people Um, because I feel like when something changes you in, and in a real way, I can't turn my back from that. It's just part of me. And so me writing and sharing these things, it's not to be like, Oh, well, I got to post today. And I got to keep my, you know, my algorithm. And I got to, you know, try and get this goal and whatever, whatever. It's really just, Oh, I felt this today. I thought of this today. I'm experiencing this now. And I'm going to let you know about it. Like, that's how I've always been because I'm like, my, my world has been rocked so much where I cannot turn my back on it because the contrast is so deep that it's just, it's just part of me. So my kids, they're learning, you know, I mean, all of these hard experiences that I'm now going through. Well, it's a family ordeal now. when you have kids and a spouse, everyone's part of it in some way, right And so it, I do feel like what they're learning and seeing i what I've learned before kids is how do you teach someone that doesn't want to listen? How do you teach someone that you may never get to talk to? And the answer I came up with was by example. So I feel like they're catching on um and doing things I didn't even directly teach them just from watching um and me living loud, but I remember like when we moved, when we're in the hotel, the day that we finally leave the hotel room, like that is something that was a family decision. That is something that our kids prayed about. That is something we, we keep them in our decision making because it affects them too. Even though one of them just turned one, one of them is only in preschool. Like we're, we're having them be part of our decision-making. We're teaching them, well, how do you feel about this? What ideas are coming to your brain? And, you know, we go to bed. It's like, well, you know, God kind of missed you. Did you talk to him? Did you tell him? That's so <laughs> special. keeping your kids with you in the process allows them to learn tools sooner to help them on their own better So if they know, you know, my kids would be like that, us in a hotel didn't, that is not a vacation to them. They knew it wasn't a vacation. It didn't feel like a vacation. And when I'm screaming and crying to God about our situation, when, you know, our kids are like, what's wrong? I'm like, well, we don't have a house. Like, I'm going to tell you what is wrong the way that I would almost tell my husband what is wrong, because now you're going to be part of the process with me to figure out how to. Keep how to talk to God when you're mad at him and when you're confused, which is mad and telling him your confusion. And I'm going to teach you with me, like, I don't know, those are to me, the gems in life is to do it with them. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't hide them, bring them along for the process because knowing that it will work out, even if, it's on a path longer than anticipated even if it's through the unexpected and the unwanted and the uncharted I do know we will let be led to something greater like come for the journey and let's learn learn along with me so you're better equipped on your own.
1: Absolutely well I think you said a couple really good nuggets there that I just have to reiterate and point out to all of our mamas listening. You said that your children observe you living loud (laughs) which is I love that term Um, but I think that's so important that we just like model the behavior so if you want your children to be spiritual or anything like that like they need to see you doing the small things and saying the prayers and talking to God and talking about God and reading scripture and like all those things. It's all about like modeling behavior. And I assume that's what you're saying and you're talking about. And you
2: want to know the craziest thing. I got this email and this was years ago and I'll never forget. It. And she goes, it was hard for me to want to participate in a church that my mom didn't do anything with. My mom never read. My mom never prayed. Why would I want to be part of that? And then she realized when she was much older after talking to her mom and her now in her 80s, and and her mom was like, what are you talking about? Of course I did those things. But she never saw it because she was praying in her room at night before bed right. behind a closed door. She was reading scriptures, but it was when during nap time. And it was when they were out. And so something that I have always been mindful of is don't wait for the quiet to do the things you want and need to do. And especially those things you want your kids to do and see you do. And so like, yeah, of course, we're doing these things that we want our kids to pick up on. But when are we doing them? Maybe it's not so quiet when you're doing it. But that example, I mean, they learn more by watching than how often do your kids, uh, you know, how many times I got to tell my kids to put their shoes on? Like, why would I sit them down to have this 10 minute structured lesson of why something's important when they're going to know like, you know what, like, If you think of your mom, be like, you know, my mom always did. And that's kind of like how we describe our parents to other people. Yeah, my mom always did this. I want it to be those important things.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing that you said earlier, which I just have to reiterate, is you talked about how your kids watched you like going through the process. I think that is so key in parenting to not hide the failure, the fears, like to allow those feelings to come out and your children to see those feelings and that those are normal feelings to be mad and angry and upset and hurt and, and all of those things. I feel like sometimes we can get in our heads like, oh, I don't want my, I want my kids to have this perfect little existence and I want to protect them from these things. And I don't want them to see all of that. But I think it's so important for them to know that mom goes through that too. Mom and dad, they have those feelings that I have and they get through them, you know? And you know, I,
2: as for someone who never, never wanted to get married, ever, let alone (laughs) have kids, I am the most independent person, stubborn person you could ever think of. And and then when I look at Ben and I he doesn't I don't believe he completes me. I don't think that's the word, but the way that I am like enhanced, like my best self. I just feel like the way that we problem solve it's something that we're very very good at. Communication is probably one of our strongest things and and sometimes he just I mean every time Ben when I'm screaming he's more level-headed than I am he's very calm he's someone that's just like always calm Mm
1: -hmm. and he's always
2: like even if he's upset he's just like he just is and I am like I I'm not even mad but I'm screaming really loud like we are polar opposites and and I mean even if I don't want the kids to be part of something they're gonna be part of it just because of my volume yeah yeah (laughs) but Ben I mean he just he just comes and like I remember this one time I was cleaning stuff off the table. I was under the table and this was when I was, pregnant with my I just found out I was pregnant with my third and I was trying to write my third book and I was trying to sell our house to go back to Arizona and it wasn't working and I went under the table to pick up food that fell and I just burst into tears and I was just under the table crying and I'm like wow this this can't be who God wanted me to be you know on my Aww. floor under my table losing my crap and Ben he just he doesn't even say anything he just crawls under the table and he starts rubbing my back and and he doesn't even I don't even need to say anything, and you know, the other day I was crying because I was frustrated. And Christian, he just crawls where I was, and he starts rubbing my back. I'm like, that is something he watched. He watched over and over and over again. And you know, I I was pregnant with my third. She just turned one. Her name is Mercy, and I was diagnosed high risk with her. And they told me numbers like not in my favor. (laughs) And as pregnancy progressed, things went from bad to worse, even worse, and and. It was bad. We were trying to plan an emergency surgery. And then two weeks before she was born, I went to the doctors and I went to the doctors every other day for ultrasounds, hoping that things would change. And they knew they wouldn't. And then my doctor, who's been a doctor for his whole life, he says, well, for the, I, I, I have never seen this before in my life. And, and he goes, it's just gone. And I'm like, what's wow. gone? Like yeah. what? Like what's good? Like what do you mean? Like we're just it's gone. Like like it just didn't even happen. Like it's just what? And I didn't even know how to like process the news, but I remember the only thing that I could think of was, well, God is good. And and I hated that I said that. I hated it because it implied, well, was God just like not good? during my whole pregnancy then when it wasn't working out is God only good when things go our way is God only good when things are prevented like because what does that imply like I, You know, when things work out, we tend to tell people like, oh, God was with you or angels were looking out for you. But it's like, mm-hmm. wait, so what happens when someone dies, when you're not shielded from that, you know, protection or avoidance? Was God just not good? Were you not worthy? Were you not good enough? Were angels just not there? Was God just not there? And was he not good? And, and yeah. that is just it couldn't be further from the truth. Like God was good even when my situation was not, because through it all, you're led to those better things. And Mm -hmm. so God, God is good. Even when I'm screaming at him, wondering if tomorrow is a new chance or another burden, you know, God is good. Even when we can't see where the path is going and that path is down the unwanted and uncharted and unexpected and longer than anticipated. But what I believe is that our God is an unchanging God. And to me, that means our loving God will always be a loving God and that will not change. A God who solely exists to bring us to the better and make us better will always be that and that will not change. And, you know, I just have to trust that God, the most powerful beings who ever exists, might know something more than I do. <laughs> he might. Uh, yes. he, and I remember one of those times and it echoes in my brain every day where I'm wondering why and how much longer. And and I heard, why won't you let me bless you? Mm. And And... and I think that it's just better to be happier instead of miserable. So I try and get to that point as fast as I can by looking for the light and looking for the opportunities, looking for the lessons um, and looking for the good. Good is, you know, we find what we look for and good is always there, even if it's just a laugh.
0: I, yeah, no, I totally agree, especially during such uncertain times, I think you know, it's hard to sometimes find the good. And I think people have all, you know, been faced by so many different things, but looking for the good and knowing exactly. I mean, when you told your story about the pregnancy, I was thinking, oh my gosh, a miracle. That's amazing. And you were like healed and that's so amazing. But you do just bring up such a good point because I've had to rationalize in my brain multiple times when bad things have come in our lives. Where, yeah, why wasn't God here? Or why didn't He save this or her or him or whatever? And it is like hard to understand. And I think our little human brains will never quite understand. And I think, as like you said, relying on that knowledge of that they, God is always there, you are a child of God and the consistency that. You can find the good and learn from it and take away from it because this life is so not easy. Like you said, you've had so many challenges. Uh, everyone in, in listening has had their trials and tribulations, and it's like trying to overcome those. And And you want the reasons and the explanations and the, the answers, but you always don't get them. And just trying to rely on that faith is Always a little easier said than done, but it can be done. And you are a great testament to that. You really do show how living through faith and trying to find that good. Um, it you know it's only you're right. It's it, this we only have this life once, and what's the alternative? The despair of like nothing more than this. Uh, then try to seek out that good.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. And there's no better thing to wrap up on Al. I mean, that's such an important message, and we love following you on social media and we're so grateful that you put it all out there because there is so much relatable about you for any people of faith, regardless of what faith you are. I think they're all those core underlying insecurities and trials and everything that we all face. And it's just like such good reminders as you follow along to reiterate and go back to those key things that we know. So, thanks so much for joining us. I
0: know, Al, you do. You just exude like an energy and a flare of life and like your your testimony and your your beliefs and your knowledge, just like you can't help, but just, I love it. You just share it and you just scream it from the rooftops. And like, I admire that so much. I could be so much better at like putting forth that like expression and like showing my faith day to day. And so you really do that so beautifully. I know. thank you. It's so impressive to
1: hear how, like you've said many times when you move to Utah, which is like the epicenter of our religion essentially, and then to be treated horribly. You talk about that in your book too. Like, and the fact that you did not kind of flip the script and be like, What did I sign up here for? Who are these people? You know what I mean? Like the fact that you are able to like remain positive throughout like those cultural things, I look up to that so much because I think so many people struggle with that. I really do. I feel like
2: when you invest in learning how to love yourself, everything else is just noise totally you know people suck people are so mean still they're so mean but what it comes down to is like well uh I like me and I know what I'm doing I feel called to do so yeah
0: and I think you set a precedence for like that uh, culture that we're all involved with that like definitely needs some overdue change of like love and acceptance and not so much of the the judgment and which is like the last thing God wants. That's the last thing in God's plan is like, let's judge and, you know, be rude and cruel to each other. Oh
1: my gosh, (laughs) I know.
2: Sorry, Barbara, you're not going to be the reason (laughs) I'm not going further in life.
0: (laughs) Right, don't be a Barbara, come on. Come on, guys.
1: (laughs) Yes, I love that. All right. Well, thanks so much, Al. Again, we're so glad we finally made this happen. And thanks so much for getting with us. And we hope you guys have a great holiday season and good luck on the house. We, we've we been there
0: too, girl.
2: <laughs> hey, I have one. So I'm elated over here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Thanks,
0: Al. We love following along and we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Well, that will be it for today. All right, Lauren, anything else? No,
1: that will do it. Okay, guys. Well, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please share us with your family and friends. We really do grow that way and we appreciate all the listens. And if you like the show, please head over and give us a rating and a review and make sure you are subscribed. You can find us online at the Mom Voice Podcast or online at mom-voice.com. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Take care of each other. Bye-bye.